Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another rather empty day here in London. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Abby McLaughlin, founder of East of Eden, a yoga and Pilates studio based in East London. Abby, hello. Hi, Matthew. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. I know it's all very strange times for everyone. I would imagine uh, that in uh, your particular business, it's very hard to work from home. Uh, well, I would have absolutely agreed with you 10 days ago. Um, but obviously, we are living in very strange times, and it's calling for creative leadership, I would say, more than ever before. Um, I'm in a position where my business has just expanded. We've just opened two new studios, um, a new cafe, new showers, toilets. The builders leave this weekend, and guess what? We're probably not going to be using it for the foreseeable. So <laughs> my focus this week has been on pivoting the business. And as a result, I'm moving my full schedule online to be live streamed wherever possible. Um, I'm still open for now because it's an environment we can keep super clean and hygienic. We can maintain social distancing by capping class numbers, requesting people bring their own maps ensuring distance in, in terms of people checking in. Um, but I'm obviously reviewing that situation day by day because I think we're in uncharted territory here, all of us. And so it requires a kind of a day-by-day adjustment to our strategies. But the pivoting of the business has been met with so much support from people who know that they're going to be stuck at home for possibly a, a fairly long time. And, you know, I'm trying to obviously support my freelance teachers, any profits that I make at this point will go into a fund to support other freelance members of staff and teachers that can't teach online because they use equipment, for example. And then in terms of the customers, I want to ensure that they still feel part of the community. There's plenty of online yoga, Pilates, meditation. But if you sit on your own in a mat with a pre-recorded video on YouTube or right. one of the streaming services, it's still a solitary activity. That's right. Um, what I'm proposing is a live stream so that if on Mondays and Thursdays and Saturdays you come to East of Eden, you practice with a teacher, James Cassidy, who teaches a lovely half class at 7 a.m., well, you can still do that at those times. It's just that you're logging on to the link that we've sent you, you're playing the playlist that we've sent to all of the group, and James is welcoming you into the space just as he would be if you were in a physical space. And that gives, A, an anchor into the time before and into the time again in the future, which I think we all desperately need right now. But B, it also gives you that sense of communion and community. And I think more than ever, we need that right now. We need that sense that there are other people out there feeling the same as us and going through the same things because it's a tough time, you know. And I think it's really interesting that you asked me to do this leadership council podcast at this particular time because I've been called to think about leadership and how I run my business in a way that I've never had to before. Hmm. And, you know, it's challenged me in ways I never thought I'd be challenged. But, you know, out of it, I'm hoping to be able to support my, my, my employees, but also the broader community. And obviously, you know, I'll be charging for the live stream classes, but I'm also going to offer free discount codes to people that aren't working so that they too can benefit. Mm-hmm. But I'll ask them to ask for the code. Um, there'll be free meditation every day once we get up and running. So at 7 a.m., everyone can join and have 20 minutes just all together. We're going to offer kids yoga at home, toddler yoga at home. You know, I think there's a way here to support everybody within the community and play a vital role. 
That's absolutely fantastic. And it's great to hear uh, uh, from businesses that are really uh, taking it in their stride and uh, adapting. Now, as regular listeners to the podcast will know my next question, what does the word leader mean to you? Um, so the word leader to me means leading by example. So um, making sure that you espouse personally the virtues you would like others in your team to espouse. It's making sure that they feel confident that you have the reins, especially in a time like this, because everybody is nervous, everybody is panicking. Right. And it's about being really clear with your strategy. But also for me, it's about knowing that we hear this phrase, we're all in it together a lot. But I think it's never been more resonant than it is now. And I think particularly as a leader in a business, your staff have to feel that we're all in this together. They cannot feel that you are going to be okay and that they are not. So for me right, right. now, I think being a leader is really helping people feel that it will be okay and that you will help it be okay. You have to be sort of holding everybody really and mm. just supporting everybody more now than ever. I really believe that whether or not they're freelance or permanent stuff. And obviously it depends on the business because not all businesses can do that. And I totally get that. But, you know, I think that at the moment being a leader is for me about being creative about how I run my business so that I can support people. Well, let's go back to the very beginning of your uh, career when you first started out in the world of work. Were there any particular influences on you, whether they be a particular individual or even a set of circumstances that shape the way that you lead today? Well, so interestingly, Matthew, um, I didn't start out in this sector at all. So this is, I guess, the second time I've pivoted, <laughs> as they say, in terms of how I earn a living. So I used to work in the digital music industry, um, and I've worked for companies like well, way back at BBC and Yahoo and um, and sort of 12 years ago, MySpace, I worked for Warner Music International. Um, and I've definitely had a lot of great people that I've kind of learned from within that. Um, but in terms of setting up East of Eden itself, a lot of the learnings have come from just being on the job and just from doing it, really. And there are lots and lots of people that I respect in the world of work. There's other people that I respect that I, who I've seen kind of pivot their business so there's somebody called Lucy Werner who had a PR firm and she had a load of people working for her. And, you know, it just wasn't working for her with family life. And so therefore she has now become somebody who advises small companies on how to run their PR. She's written a book. She's all about empowering you to do your own PR rather than having an expensive agency. Mm-hmm. And actually the leaders that I admire are the ones that can be really pragmatic about their circumstances and uh, respond to those circumstances in a way that enables them to also kind of live their lives. And, you know, she has two young children and so this setup works way better for her. So it's about being able to adapt. Yes, exactly. And to be resilient as well. I think, you know, if there's something that this time is teaching us, it's that we need to be resilient, you know, to get through. What would your advice be to young people just leaving secondary school or university looking to enter the world of work? Um, my advice generally in terms of... Um, leaving school right now is I think I think it's probably important to find something that fires you up but equally we obviously all need to earn a living and the reality is that I think to get to the point where we're lucky enough to do something that fires us up we probably have to kind of start by working hard and 
you know, maybe working within a big company structure, but just really applying oneself. And I think it's, um, it's, it's important to establish that pattern of work sort of quite early on, if you can. Um, I mean, internships is one of those things that uh, it's, it's a financial privilege. It's a privilege to be able to do that, and you need to be quite financially sort of well off. But I think you know, being creative about how you, you go about finding your work, so kind of writing to lots of different companies and seeing if there's ways that you can be brought on. I think more than ever, we need to be creative about way in which we earn a living these days, and sort of understand the way that kind of industry is moving. And I mean, I think that's going to be a big shakeup after um, a lot of this this current situation, mm-hmm. and you know, looking at the ways in which you can offer what you do digitally potentially is definitely an option for lots of different people um but i mean as a general rule i think for people leaving work and starting out it's a balance between mm-hmm. earning a living getting experience putting in the grass and working hard but also never losing sight of the thing that makes you tick and the thing that you're passionate about and always trying to figure out how you're going to get to a point where you can be in that field in some way you know if you love football not many people are ever going to be champion footballers of course but you know there are still ways in which you can get into that world in a different way and it's good to kind of think laterally um we uh i took my son to the harry potter world which is going to sound like a strange um aside but um (laughs) and you know and there there's such an interesting view of all of the different roles on the making of film you know and it's not just the actors and the directors and the producers it's you know the special effects and the makeup and the sound and the prop making and there's so many different ways you can get into a field that you feel passionate about and it's not always the obvious ways so sometimes thinking laterally can get you into a field you feel passionate about and enable you to earn money doing it well, Abby, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the program. And unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for East of Eden? Well, uh, number one priority is obviously getting through the next portion of time <laughs> until we're fully yes. reopened. Um, but then, as soon as we're fully reopened, we've got the brand new studio. We're launching the, well, we'll have three studios actually we have yoga mat pilates we have performer pilates and then we've got therapy rooms and bar we've got a brand new cafe we run all of the yoga at the natural history museum we're launching yoga at the imperial war museum Mm -hmm. we're going to be doing stuff maybe not at festivals this summer but certainly next year because we've partnered up with um uh some a musician called hayden thorpe who is actually singer of wild beasts to offer yoga with live music so we already ran one of those at an art gallery in waterloo with joe goddard who's uh, in Hot Chips, the band. So we're exploring a lot of these other venture, ventures. And for me, I'm really interested to explore the intersection of movement, community, and culture and see how we can develop that. So that's my focus for the next 12 months. Well, Abby, as I said, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I very much hope you come back on the program at some point in the near future. Abby, thank you. Thank, thank you so much, Matthew. Thank you for having me. That was Abby McLaughlin, founder of East of Eden. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you'll delight that a certain someone is leaving a post. What are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the 
party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from... Uh, for uh, candidates a little further left um, than them who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine 
their future ideologies, certainly. And sp- speaking of your time uh, as home section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term... Uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to, given your answer, David to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders... In a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister... And I I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority Mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities, they know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... 
I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarizing, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after No, week. I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then five you lose 5-0 yeah. at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again well i'm a chelsea fan so i'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute um <laughs> but i would like to pick up on another point you just made actually david about choosing a strong team people that compliment you a lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened mm. and I imagine I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it if they're just toadies by the way and there is a tendency a new mm. prime minister large majority got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them but get able people in I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as i speak at the moment people 
who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for, a, for a, a, an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always try to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either one. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Yeah, quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people but again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities or you're driving a business that actually says this is why I get up in the morning so you've got to have something internal to yourself the the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you you can take pride without being egotistical there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better and that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they... they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> so, because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different 
leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience. Everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, in the very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour Leadership Contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January. And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months... I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my f family and loved ones, is football and, and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant and I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. <laughs> this has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.